My guest today, Eric Kaur, grew up in Wisconsin. He played in several bands. Most notably, he was the lead singer for the band Gods of the Revolution. The Gods went into the recording studio to produce an album. They ended up recording with now legendary recording engineer Butch Vig. At the same time that the Gods were recording an album, Butch was working with the Smashing Pumpkins producing their breakthrough album, Gish. Of course, Butch Vig went on to do Nirvana's Nevermind, an album that literally changed the face of music. Anyway, things weren't working out all that well for Eric in Wisconsin. After they had recorded the album, they played for a while. Eventually, Eric left the band, moved from Wisconsin to the Bay Area. Eric Kaur reinvented himself as a solo acoustic hardcore musician, best described by the press as Bob Dylan on PCP, the mariachi from hell, his music has been described as cool but disturbing. Somewhere along the way, Eric ran into Ginger Coyote, the lead singer for the White Trash Debutantes. Ginger eventually invited Eric on tour of the White Trash Debutantes as a supporting act. In this episode, Eric takes us back to 1996, while on a Pacific Northwest tour with the White Trash Debutantes. Sit back and enjoy this episode, entitled Special Guest, on Music Life Radio. I'm your host, Dan Sauter. So, Eric, how did you team up with Ginger Coyote of the White Trash Debutantes? You know, honestly, I don't even remember where. Oh, God, I do remember when I met Ginger for the first time. It was at your place, too, on Martin Luther King Boulevard in Oakland. And this person came running past me in this blues punk club through the hallway, ran up to me, grabbed my balls, told me I was cute, and then ran off. And I was just... <laughs> I don't know if I was more terrified or shocked because I was like, what, what, what was that? And my friend I was with was, that was Ginger Coyote. So when you ask me how I got hooked up with the White Trash Debutantes, I honestly can't remember anything beyond that point up to touring with them. <laughs> Somehow from that, I, there's, there's some, a level of intimacy that you experience meeting a person that way that um, you have an instant bond shall we say. What was the lineup that you were going up with? The lineup was amazing. Liz was on vocals. Heather was on vocals. Liz wound up, after the fact, dancing at Stinky's Peep Show. Uh-huh. And she had a just an amazing voice. And Heather, I believe, moved to New York shortly after the tour. I think Rico or Rito was the guitar player. No, he was the bassist. We, they, Ginger dubbed him Cheeseburger. <laughs> um... For his love of cheeseburgers. Yes, of course. And um, the drummer, I don't remember his name, and I don't remember the guitar player. He used to wear a cowboy hat. He's a real nice guy, though. Anyway, um, they were a really good lineup. They were the lineup that was on the album. It's Raw and You Live For It? Is that it? Could or? be. Could be. It was, it was one of the longer running bands that she had. Yeah. And they were really tight together, and they, they really played well together. So the tour starts out the first day. Ginger shows up. We need to get into the studio, and we're having trouble getting in because the guy who runs the studio was asleep, and only he could let us in, and no one could wake him up. And Ginger showed up with a 40-ouncer in one hand and a giant hot dog, red hot, in the other. She had a voice exactly like Marilyn Monroe. It was just 
oh, what, you know, would you like a 40 ounce? Well, not that Maryland would ever ask anybody if they wanted a 40, but, you know, yeah. probably 40 pills or something. For Would you like 40 quaaludes? Would anybody like a 40 and a big 12-inch red hot or something like that? And everybody's like, uh, it's 8 in the morning. Do you think it's a little early for 40s and red hots? Apparently it wasn't. Here's a little white trash debutante, part-time celebrity. got up there and we got to a pretty smooth start as we were going along. We went up and we did our first show in Eureka, I think it was. Then we went up to Portland and we played with the Super Suckers there. And uh, that was that was a fun show. Nice. And uh, that night we stayed at this house. These people from California had bought a mansion up in Portland because at that time you could sell whatever equity you had in anything. I mean, you could sell it from like your garage and buy a mansion in Portland. Yeah. So... We all had our own room in this unfurnished mansion that night, and that night was the first fight that happened. Ginger said to one of the women that was there partying with them, "Is oh my god, you're so beautiful. You look like just like Fran Drescher." And it turned out that her boyfriend was an anti-Semite, and considered that to be an extreme insult, and started hitting <laughs> Ginger. And then one of the guys there, I think, ran a martial arts club or something, and like. Grabbed the guy and knocked him around, threw him out of the house, and so that was fight number one. Off to a great start, yeah. Um, that was just bizarre. Then from there we went up to Seattle, and we were supposed to play this place called the China Club, and we played with a band called Los Gatos Locos, which was kind of a neo-Nazi rockabilly band with skinhead following. We were in the back room and. Things weren't going well before we got up there because the booker of the club never showed up who we were supposed to stay with that night. And Ginger started getting into it with the guys from Los Gatos Locos. I remember something about nipple clamps being said. And I don't know if it was she wanted them or wanted to give them to him or what it was, but those two were not getting on well. And their band got up and they started talking about... um, the faggots from San Francisco should go home. The queers from San Francisco should go home. The homos from San Francisco should go home. They should all die, blah, 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 the usual stuff, which um, I was actually the only homo there because, but we had, you know, the whole rest of the crew, which was pretty outstanding and, yeah. and fantastic. And I think we were doing a really good representation of our city. Our, our crew was a little upset because uh, their audience turned out to be about 40, 50 skinheads. The whole neo-Nazi, you know, the, the boots, the suspenders, that whole silly thing. And uh, we didn't really have an audience. We just had us. And then Jerry Ann, who used to be in the Franny Farmer Girls, I think it was called, showed up from Portland to see us. She's about, She was about five foot three, I think, in a tiny little leather miniskirt. And the reason I bring that up will come in later. 
the band was really upset. They were really worried that that we were all going to get killed that night. <laughs> Did you know that you were going to be on the bill with uh, a neo-Nazi band? <laughs> Ironically, no. We were actually expecting a really great night in Seattle, yeah. especially after the great night we had had in Portland playing with the Super Suckers. Because yeah, that's amazing. We played the Satyricon to a to a, a packed house, which is a it's a big club. We were pumped up and ready to roll, and we weren't expecting this. And uh, everybody was real upset, but. We kind of talked our way through it, mainly because there was no back door. So there wasn't like we could actually escape to anything or anywhere. Even though we got paid for the Satyricon show, we didn't make enough money to get us very far because we were renting a van. We were counting on staying at the promoter's house, and that was money we needed because we didn't have enough for hotel rooms. Yeah, And we simply had enough to get ourselves across the border into Canada the next day. I basically, we talked about it, and I'm like, well, you know, Worst case scenario, they try and fight us, and we just put a bunch of them in the hospital. Because I'm like, you know, I have uh, 20-some years of pent-up rage from homophobia in me, so I'm ready to let it out tonight, you know? I mean, why, you know, skinheads are like the greatest opportunity in the world for this, you know? And uh, the girls were excited about it. For some reason, the girls were actually pumped. And so I was teaching them how to fight. You know, the drinks were nice and heavy, and I was like, well, those are, that's your first line of defense. That's like a grenade. So if you see them coming, just start hurling them. So make sure you've got a few extra drinks when we go up there to play. And mic stands are fantastic because you can just knock somebody right, you know, their head right off with a mic stand. And the guys were, ironically, the guys were actually more afraid than the, the women were about going out there. And, you know, we kind of coaxed them out there because we're like, dude, you're playing a fucking axe. They call it an axe for a yeah. reason. You know, grow a set of cojones and get out there and, you know, let them have it. And so I went out there and played first, and they seemed irritated, but I guess I wasn't irritating enough because they really wanted ginger. Well, they probably had no idea who you were or what you were about. Like the sticker said, cool but disturbing. I think that's all it was. It was like, what the fuck is, what's happening here? Yeah, this is, all they knew is something was wrong, and I was part (laughs) of what was wrong, and... Eric Kaur with Shit Gone Wild. Bang, bang, student screaming. Bang, bang, running clear. Bang, bang, guns and grenades. Bang, bang, cover in blood. Shit's gone wild in America. Guns, gang, blood and death. Shit's gone wild in America. There's no rise no Tension was building for Ginger Coyote and the White Trash Debutantes. And um, they went up there, and it was really quite funny because the two main guys for the band were kind of walking up and down and like throwing fists and making whatever tough signs that people who want to look tough make, who actually aren't tough but want to make tough signs. And Ginger was taunting them, you know, with songs like Punk Rock Republican which I don't know why that was such a taunt, but for some reason, everything she said, and then there was the one song that was so funny. 
Oh, God, it was. There's a little bit of whore in every little boy. Yeah. <laughs> that was a song where all hell broke loose. Because <laughs> she looked right at the guy who was the lead singer, and she looked at him, and she goes, You know what? There's a little bit of whore in every little boy. And I think that was the catalyst. And... um because apparently there probably was a little bit of horror in him. And Too close to home, huh? I think so. I think so. And um, so him and the other guy tried to jump on the stage. I grabbed the main guy, kind of threw him to the ground, and not, you know, he was begging for mercy. And Jerry Ann, the five foot three, yeah, mini skirt, apparently harmless, had to be dragged off by like three people. The other guy, because she was about, she was literally killing them i mean she's just <laughs> ripping this guy to pieces and um because if you've ever seen women fight it's way scarier than any guy fight she was amazing you know i was actually nice you know i just scared the guy did it turn into just one big melee no it never got that far oh. because it was over so fast that you know i took i grabbed the main guy she beat the f- fuck out of the second guy i mean yeah. And, like, the 40 skinheads who were all getting excited about this were kind of staring at it going, like, what do you do when you see your main dudes get their ass kicked by a fag and a chick in a skirt? It's, <laughs> there's just no winning on that. There's no saving face on that at all. I mean, you know, you can say, wow, that's a mighty bad rug burn you got there. It's like, that was a mighty big fag. You know, I mean, you just, <laughs> there's no way to talk your way out of that one. So, anyway, their friends all left and... Um, Jerry Ann knew somebody from the Gits, and this was apparently shortly after the woman from the Gits had disappeared a couple of years later. Mia Zapata, yeah. Yeah, and um, the the rest of the band was still living at the old Gits house, I believe, and um, they were incredible. It was like 2 or 3 in the morning, and they let us come over and stay at their home. And, wow, that's awesome. And it was really cool, yeah, because we really had nowhere to go, and you know, of course, the skinheads were driving by outside the club trying to you know taunt us like, why bother you know it's like it's over and then the next day we got up and you know the first thing we had to talk about was nobody was going to bring drugs into canada and because what ginger didn't kind of waited to the last minute to tell everybody was that apparently a few of them had been body cavity searched on the last trip through canada (laughs) i guess that's not something you tell anybody before they leave san francisco you know you tell them like right before you hit the border you know And uh, so everybody, you know, was like, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, no drugs, no drugs, no drugs. And <laughs> and there really weren't a lot of people in the band doing anything, and nobody was doing anything hard at all. There was just one guy who was like an uber pothead who they had to convince that they actually had marijuana in Canada. And, like, you know, you're a musician. People will give it to you. And uh, so we went up to the border, and we were a little nervous because we had two vehicles, and we looked like a freak show. I mean, we looked like a traveling circus, to you know, to say the least, and... Right as we got up there, this other band came in from Australia, and I don't remember their name, but they looked like the Beatles. They were kind of, they all had the bob haircuts, they were wearing the suits, that very, that very mod style of dress, had a nice van, had a nice manager, they all looked clean, bathed, showered, shaved, the yeah. whole works. And uh, they pulled up the same time we did, and we watched as the border guards literally tore apart their vehicle and took apart amplifiers and put on white gloves, would take the white glove and use their finger 
take it over something, put it up to the sun, and look. And all we, you know, we were just like, we're fucked. <laughs> I mean, even though we knew we didn't have anything, yeah, that many years of being in bands, something was bound to be there. <laughs> A stray hit of acid, God knows what, you know, like tucked behind. Uh the bottom part of somebody's amp or yeah the, the you know the lost bud that you yeah. lost 10 years ago i mean you know god knows but we were we just knew we were fucked and <laughs> and if we saw what they were doing to them and how nice they looked and how proper they were and how polite we were like we're like my god we're gonna get fisted by these motherfuckers <laughs> i mean they're gonna just they're gonna they're gonna let it all out at us and you know about two three hours later as we're watching this whole thing unfold, the border guards go away from their van, go back in, and one of the guys comes out and goes, Ginger Coyote? Yes. We have your papers, everything checks out, and your van checked out, and you're, you're set to go. Thank you so very much. And we hopped in, we drove across that border, and we never looked back. Wow. It turned out they had searched the wrong vehicle. They thought they were searching us, but, you know... <laughs> Thank God for those clean-cut Australians because they saved our asses. Wow. It turns out that the drummer actually did have weed in his sock. <laughs> and in those days, from what I was told, is that would have been enough to get our vehicles impounded and our gear taken away. That would have been bad. That would have been really bad. And he came from a very wealthy family, so that would have just been a phone call for him. For the rest of us, it would have been, well, let's see how the skinheads like us now in Seattle. <laughs> As we panhandle our way back to San Francisco. So, and ironically, when we got to Vancouver, they actually did have weed. Loads of it. Amazing. So much weed, in fact, that when we came back across the border, the American <laughs> oh, no. border guard uh, said to, well, me and Ginger were in the first vehicle. And he looked at us and he goes, uh, so, um, how, much, uh, how much heroin you guys got? Uh, officer, we don't do heroin. No, really, I mean, look at you. You're junkies. <laughs> no, really, officer. Um, we, we don't do heroin. No, come on. I know you do heroin. How much? It's not even a question of doing it. How much do you do? I mean, how much did you bring with you? Where is it? Uh, you know, officers, even if we were dumb enough to do heroin, we are not dumb enough to try and smuggle it across into the U.S. border. He's like, all right, I'll give you credit for that. Because, you know, that would be pretty stupid. So, um, and he looks in the van behind us where, you know, the rest of our circus is, and he goes, so, um, how much weed did they got in that van back there? <laughs> and we're like, look. You'll just have to ask. I them. know we look awful, but they don't have any weed and we don't have any heroin, really. He's like, yeah, I don't know about that. Because, you know, British Columbia weed is some of the best in the world. Everybody knows that. And uh, you're musicians. Musicians do weed and heroin. And we're like, you know, officer, please, with no disrespect, we're just not dumb enough to try and take this stuff back. <laughs> like, we know that you guys take your jobs really seriously, and we respect that. And we don't want any trouble. We really just want to go home. <laughs> And so finally he let us through, and then he tortured the van behind us for a while. But I have to say, the Canadian show was actually really fun. We played with the McCrackens, I think it was. And they were really nice, and we stayed at the Mighty Niagara. The floors were wet. We never figured out why. 
<laughs> it was really creepy, but we didn't sleep much that night. Yeah. And then the tour kind of quieted down from there. We went in, we had a night off in Portland after that, and we were actually hanging outside the Satyricon, and I heard the sounds of struggle behind me as I'm sitting at this coffee shop reading a newspaper, and I felt something very heavy crash into my back. It felt like a tr- I'd been hit by a truck, and I turned around, and I was shot out of my chair. I'm like, who the fuck did that? And I couldn't see anything. There was nobody there. And then I hear this, please don't kill me, mister. Please don't kill me. And there was this guy who was about five feet tall who had been 86 from the bar who yeah. was completely wasted, who had somehow managed the, the Herculean strength <laughs> to pick up a full newsstand and got it far <laughs> enough to drop it on my back. But it hadn't actually made it through the window of the Satyricon, which uh. is probably the only thing that saved his life because I think the bouncers would have killed him by that point. <laughs> but uh, then we got to you know, Eugene after that, played uh, John Henry Club. That's where I had my meltdown. Uh, up to that point... Wait, what was the meltdown? Well, it's kind of sad. <laughs> By that point, I had played a total of six or seven gigs in a row as either special guest or to be announced. <laughs> and I... You like that, huh? Yeah, I snapped. I just <laughs> lost my shit. I've had all you think you can't take any more of it. All you think you can't take any more of it. All you think you can't take any more of it. All you think you can't take any more. No more smoking against the wall. Coming back to the escape. Push the end. Yeah, you know, just one more is all day. So I had all you think you can't take any more of it. All you think you can't take any more of it. All you think you can't take any more of it. All you think you can't take any more. Eric Core with Postal. Bless her heart was uh, so sweet. She consoled me, and she's like, "You know, it's okay, Eric. It's okay." You know, I'm like, and I was like, "But I said of all press packs, and I talked to these motherfuckers, and God damn it, I'm not a special guest." You know, it was one of those uh, "I am somebody" moments, and uh, oh my god, yeah, I forgot one other thing: the house in Eugene, the place we were supposed to stay at. I slept in the car. The people let their dog shit in the house. And I'd never seen anything like it before because there was about six inches between every pile and they had these giant, like, Great Dane type dogs. So it was like giant, it was like farmer poop, you know, it's like, you know, like cow poop and manure time. And, uh, but, uh, then we, uh, somehow made it back to San Francisco and God knows how we did it. But, uh, that was the, uh, tour of the white trash debutante. But I have to say Ginger did a, a great job and it was a really fun tour. And it was a fun band to be playing with. I remember our last show, Ginger got half the audience. There wasn't a huge audience, but you got a bunch of people on stage dancing naked with us during yeah. Sex Bond Baby. And that's awesome. But it was, it was, it was a fun show. I mean, it was, a, she had an amazing band together at the time. You know, Ginger's a, a really good, uh, show person and, and she knows a lot of people, and she really knew how to make it a fun experience. Very dangerous experience. <laughs> Very bizarre experience, but it was a good experience nonetheless. 
Well, cool. Thanks, Eric, for stopping by and sharing stories from the road. You're welcome. Eric Kaur has returned to playing in bands. This is his band, Gunpowder, where he sings and plays acoustic guitar. A little song called It's the Law. says no park between 10 p.m. and 6 a.m. But the sign's covered in the stickers and I can't read it, can you? No, but that doesn't matter. There's one down the block and it's the law. It's the law? that well it doesn't matter i still have to give you a ticket no you don't yes i do because it's the law it's the law They wouldn't do that there. Well, this is in Oakland. It's L.A. Here's your ticket and have a nice day. Oh, gee, thanks. But what happens when I can't pay it? Oh, he'll pay it because it's the law. It's the law? Fuck the law! Learn more about Eric Core at www.ericcore.com. That's E-R-I-K-C-O-R-E. You can also check out his bands Gunpowder and Visitor 42. Their websites are www.gunpowderband.com and visitor42.com. And all you bookers out there, remember one thing. God damn it, I'm not a special guest. Thanks again for listening to Music Live Radio.